Good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be with you today. I've enjoyed the service so far and the testimonies that were shared of God's goodness to us this week. And uh, God is really good. And I, I also appreciate the singing. Uh, there's a song that we sang this morning. I had, I believe it was the first time I ever heard it. Out of the Zion's praises, the battle is the Lord's. And the uh, last two lines of the third verse really struck me as we sang. It says, with the spirit and the word and Christ as captain, yea, the battle is the Lord's. So isn't it good to be on the winning side? That's wonderful. I, I appreciate that. If you want to turn your Bibles this morning to Philippians, the first chapter, I'd like to share a message from Paul's first uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian people. A message I've entitled, Where is Your Focus? Where is your focus today? How many... I won't ask for a raise hands. Do you like uh, optical illusions? I kind of think they're kind of neat, uh, kind of fun to look at and muse over. Uh, I got a couple I'd like to share with you this morning that's probably, they're all old. You've probably seen them before, but it's okay. So here's the first one. Have you ever seen this one? What do you see in that picture? Do you see a young lady or do you see an old lady? An old lady. Anybody see an, a younger lady? Okay, bunch, Okay. how many see the old lady? All right. So there's the younger, the younger lady. She's kind of looking back that direction. That's my little thing going to work. There we go. There's her eye, eyebrow. There's her nose. Comes down to her chin. All right. She's kind of looking back that way. The older lady, she's looking this way. And right here's her eyeball. And down here's her chin. And there's her mouth. Does that help? That doesn't help. I'm sorry. Well, I got puzzled looks like, what are you looking at? <laughs> well, you'll have to look it up later. I'm going to the next one. You ever see that one? Do you see a vase or do you see two people looking at each other? All right, there's the two, two people looking at each other and there's a white vase. That's kind of an easy one. There, do you see a rabbit or do you see a duck? A duck, I hear ducks. Any rabbits? couple rabbits. All right, so where's your focus today? I think that's the last one I got. Yep, that's the last one I got. I'll go on to the next here. Have you heard of the story of the farmer that was uh, discouraged about his farm? So he decided he's going to move out, he's going to sell out, and he's going to move out, get away from his farm because he's discouraged. So he contacted a real estate agent and he had the real estate agent come out to look at his property and his buildings and everything, and he said he, oh, he said he wanted them to, uh, he wanted them to look everything over and write up an advertisement that they can put in the newspaper and see if we can sell this farm because he's discouraged. So the guy comes out and he looks it over and he writes and he goes back home and he goes to his office and he he writes up an ad and then before he published the ad he wanted the farmer of course to approve it so. He comes back to the farmer. He says, well, here's the ad. He says, uh, a good location, a well-maintained house, sturdy barns, lush pastures, pasture lands, fertile soil, and a great view. And the farmer listened real carefully, and then he said, wait a second. Can you read that again really slowly so, 
so the realtor, he read it real slow again, and then the, the farmer looked at him and said, hold it. No, don't print that ad. He said, I've changed my mind. I've always wanted a farm like that. I'm just going to keep it. <laughs> so you see, it's, it's how he looked at something. It's how, he, it's how we look at things that can make a world of difference in how we behave. Ella Wheeler Wilcox. She was an American author and poet, and she wrote these words. Another West, with the selfsame winds that blow, tis the set of the sail and not the gale which determines the way they go. <clears throat> Paul gives us some great advice in Philippians later on, chapter 4, verse 8. <clears throat> Very familiar verse. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, praiseworthy meditate on these things. So this is an excellent verse. If you haven't already done so, an excellent verse to commit to memory. Uh, I've... Uh, been reading this verse quite often for a long time, and so it's really familiar to me. So, good one to commit to memory, and I really think that if we live our lives with that verse, by that verse, uh, you will be living in God's will, and you will be making good and wise choices in life. You will have a good focus. But if you think about it, people in today's world are pretty much doing the exact opposite of that. If you look at news articles, read magazines, look at billboards other than ours, <laughs> if you look at social media, you often see the glorification of things that are impure, things that are wrong, things that are simply untrue. So it's kind of the opposite focus. And so people focus on the negative, the media fo focuses on the negative with the news broadcast, they tend to focus on the negative. Once in a while, they might slip a positive thing and say, maybe say, like, here's some good news for the day or something like that. But most of it's kind of negative. That's just the way this world's bent, and people are, maybe it's what sells things. So that's the way this world is. But let's break that pattern today and instead look at what the Apostle Paul focuses on, and, and we see that he focuses here on the positive. Now, in our text, which we're going to read shortly, in our text verses, he does mention some negative things in there that are going on in his life that were unpleasant, unpleasant circumstances, some unreasonable people, and an uncertain future. But he goes on to show how that God is able to use those things, those negative things, in a very positive way. So what we're going to do today here is read our text together. As I've done before, I would like this side over here to read the white letters, verses, and this side over here to read the yellow verses. And why don't we stand together as we read God's Word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, starting over on my left. But I want you to know, everybody together, I want you to know, brethren, more bold to speak the word without fear. 
First thing I'd like to look at this morning is the unpleasant circumstances that Paul was talking about in verses 12 through 14. Then we'll look at some unreasonable people that he mentions and an uncertain future. First of all, unpleasant circumstances. He begins in verse 12 by saying, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. We think we have troubles, don't we? But how does your list compare to Paul's list? We're not reading the list, so to speak, uh, in this passage here today, but, you know, in some of his other uh, letters that he wrote, he writes uh, and and writes out things that have happened to him. So you Bible readers know what what that's all about. So how does your list compare to Paul's list? How many times have you been shipwrecked? How many times have you been beaten near unto death? Anybody? No, don't raise your hand. How many times have you been arrested and imprisoned and chained up 24 hours a day? Paul did those things, and that's a partial list. Um, But he remained faithful to God. He says, I remember all these trials, and I see that they have all served to advance the gospel. As I was studying this this passage, uh, this is something that stood out to me I hadn't noticed before, or if I did, I've forgotten it. But uh, the Greek word here is, I'm going to try to pronounce it, it's prokopi or something like that, it's translated furtherance of the gospel or advance the gospel. So here in verse 12, uh, it talks about serving to advance the gospel, and it has an interesting history. My understanding is correct. The original idea of that would have been the idea of woodcutters going before an army through a forest or through a, a woods and cutting the underbrush, clearing out all the underbrush so the army can march forward uh, unimpeded, advancing the gospel. That's the idea, going ahead of the, gospel, of the army. And that, if you put that, that kind of picture into this verse, it's Paul's saying that's what he, his ministry is. He's advancing the gospel. He's going ahead and clearing it out to make the gospel known to, to the world. Paul had a good focus. 
All these things that have happened to me have resulted in clearing the way so that the gospel might be preached more effectively. Advancing the gospel. Are you advancing the gospel? Trying to clear the way and make it clear for everybody to see the gospel? Moving on to verse 13, he says, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now, here's the situation. 24 hours a day, Paul is chained to Roman soldiers, each serving about a six-hour shift. Every six hours, a new soldier comes in and he chains chains himself to Paul. So the soldier that was on duty wasn't going to escape. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for six hours? Can you imagine the chatter that happened at shift change? Between the soldiers, we have shift change at my, at my job. We do shift change where we discuss the patient load and the, pa- the things about the different patients and, you know, things that we need to know to pass on to the next shift that's helpful to, in caring for that patient. And so, I don't know if this happened or not, but I'm just imagining the, the shift change of the soldiers, like, man, good luck with that guy. Six hours with him, man. It's going to be his job, man. You're going to have to listen to his chatter all for six hours. Um, I don't know what they said, but I, just use your imagination there. Uh, maybe that didn't happen, but uh, interesting to be chained to the Apostle Paul for six hours. Paul saw this as a wonderful opportunity to tell the soldier about Jesus, and he couldn't escape him. He had a captive audience. But you know what? Here's the great thing. It worked. I didn't know this. I didn't think about this before. Either. This is something new that popped out to me. Maybe you guys are all well-studied and saw this before, but um, you know that later on in this book, in this letter, at the end, in Philippians 4.22, look what it says, and all the saints greet you, look at this, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. It worked. Some of those soldiers, at least some of them, became Christians and followers of Christ, and they sent their greetings. That tells us We need to be faithful. Wherever Christ plants, wherever God plants us, be faithful in sharing the good news. Don't know who's going to listen. Don't know how it's going to affect them. But people came to follow Christ because Paul ministered to them, shared shared Christ's love with them. So that's really good. There's a second positive positive. Uh, response. I'm going to back up here to see where I'm at here. Yeah, verse 14, yep. Paul says in verse 14, And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains or much more bold to speak the word without fear. Also, I'm going to read it in the Amplified. It says, Because of my chains, seeing that I am doing well and that God is accomplishing great things, Most of the brothers have renewed confidence in the Lord and have far more courage to speak the word of God concerning salvation without fear of the consequences, seeing that God can work his good in all circumstances. So again, I want you to notice that Paul was able to maintain, the focus he was able to maintain in these times of trial. By God's grace, of course, and that's the way it is for all of us, by God's grace only, can we maintain that kind of focus when we run through trials and tribulations? 
there's an author of a book, Bob Benson, wrote a book, See You at the House. And he tells of a good friend who had a severe heart attack. His friend almost died, but he was on the road to recovery. And Bob visited him, and uh, he, asked, he asked, he said, his friend's name was Bill. He says, Bill, how do you feel about your heart attack? He says, I hate it. It nearly killed me. Bob said, would you, would you like to have another one? Certainly not. Would you recommend one to anyone else? Absolutely not. Bob went on, Bill, now that you're feeling better, do you treasure your life more than before? Yes, I guess I do. You and your wife have always had a good marriage, but are you closer to each other now than before? Bill said, yes, of course. And what about your relationship with God? Has that changed since your heart attack? Yes. I feel a whole lot closer to God now than I ever did before. Bob asked, Bill, in light of all this, how do you feel about your heart attack now? That was the first question he asked, and now he asked it again, but after they had the discussion. So I'm trying to give that little illustration to say, where is our focus? Where is our focus? How do you look at the situation? Was the heart attack difficult? Was it painful? Was it hurtful? Was it hard? Yes. But what about the final result? You're closer to God, aren't you? Yes. That was a benefit. God worked a work in his heart, physical heart and his other heart and drew him closer to himself. God can take most negative things that happen to us in life, and he can make them into positive if we will just focus on that, on what God, the goodness of God. So what are you chained to this morning? What are you chained to this morning? What, are you chained to financial hardship? Are you chained to declining health? Are you chained to loneliness or grief or despair? Where is your focus in those situations? Can you see God in it? Can you see what God's doing in your life in those times? How can God use you in these difficult times to advance the gospel, to clear the way, to advance the gospel? Secondly, let's look at unreasonable people that Paul talks about in verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. In other words, Paul's saying here, there are some people who are envious of me, who see themselves as rivals, competitors in preaching the gospel. So what happens when people become envious of someone else? They usually try to tear them down, don't they? They point out the negative things that can happen to that person, thinking that if they're pulling them down, they will build themselves up. Sometimes that's intentional. They do that intentionally, and that's sad. Hope none of us here are involved in doing that, pushing others down to try to build ourselves up. Billy Graham, most of you have remembered him or knew about him. He's passed away now. He was very well known in this country and around the world. He had many, he had one of the most spotless reputations uh, in our time of people, of his, people like him, people that were popular like him, people were well-known like him, uh, evangelists. And many books were written about his life and his ministry. Investigative reporters have tried 
to find anything they could to criticize him. They looked into his finances, they looked into his marriage, every facet of his life, but they weren't able to really find much that they could write about or tell about to condemn the man. So when Billy Graham went on crusades, it was said that, that he would send people out ahead of him to check his hotel accommodations, make sure there's no woman or anybody planted there that a tabloid photographer could take pictures of him and this woman and uh, spread gossip about maliciously. Billy Graham was very cautious to make sure that there wasn't any room for suspicion in these situations. In spite of the precautions during a crusade in Paris, France, a newspaper headline proclaimed this, Billy Graham spends night with woman other than his wife. They claimed that the hotel registry showed that a woman was registered and spent the night with him in his hotel room. They even printed her name. It was George Beverly Shea. Do you know who George Beverly Shea was? He was his, his song leader at his crusades, or soloist, or both. George was a singer, and he, he loved music, and his middle name's Beverly. I don't know why, but his middle name's Beverly, and they, they missed the first name, and they, they, they thought that uh, Billy Graham and Beverly Shea were spending the night together in the hotel. So they got that one wrong. George and, and uh, Billy were probably best of friends, or, or very good friends. And uh, they tried to defame Billy Graham, but it didn't work. People in prominent positions like that uh, are subject to all kinds of criticism. But back to the, the verse that we just were talking about. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and others also from goodwill. People trying to tear other people down. Move on to verse 18. One of the most incredible verses in the Bible, Paul says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. I'll give you another illustration. Pat Riley is considered one of the most uh, successful coaches in the NBA, the National Basketball Association. <clears throat> he coached his teams to five national championships, receiving three Coach of the Year awards, all while coaching the Los Angeles Lakers, the New York Knicks, and the Miami Heat. Very successful man in the sports world. He once told the story about another very successful man in the sports world named Magic Johnson. Some of you may have heard of Magic Johnson. Big, tall, black man uh, was really good in basketball. He's retired from that now. But, and I will say that not everything in Magic's life is worth, is notable to, to pass on or to talk about. But he had a good, one good thing. I should say probably more than one, but I'll, I'll just point out one. Uh, said Riley, Pat Riley said that when Johnson, Magic Johnson was in junior high school, his basketball talent was already very obvious. Um, he was so much better than his teammates that he would score 50 points while they scored five points. And they won every game. The other pair, players kind of became unhappy, though because they didn't get the ball very often, didn't get a chance to shoot very often. And their parents became unhappy too, and uh, so Magic Johnson decided to change his role on the team. Talking about focus, change his focus, okay, on the team. He would become an enabler 
passing the ball to the others and making them look good. So he played only two years in college before he was drafted into the, the uh, NBA. He went on to the Los Angeles Lakers, and uh, that team has, a lot of, has had a lot of superstars over the years, and of course Magic is now one of them. They were all great players, but they weren't winning because they were all playing for themselves. They were kind of self-focused. Pat Riley said that Magic Johnson became a catalyst on the Lakers team. So he called him an enabler one time, now he's a catalyst. Deciding once again to make the other players look good. He went to Byron Scott, apparently another player. He said, I'm gonna make you the number one scorer on this team. I'm gonna pass the ball to you and you're going to score. And it worked, Byron Scott started scoring. He went to James Worthy, another player. He said, he asked him, he says, why haven't you ever been on the NBA All-Star team? I'm going to make you an All-Star. He started passing the ball to James Worthy. Pretty soon James Worthy was on the All-Star team. During that season, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar set a record as the highest scorer in the NBA history. But before that happened, Magic Johnson had told him, you can do it. And I want to be the guy who passes you the ball when you make the basket. Riley said, the coach said, on that night, when it appeared that Jabbar might have had the chance to sink the record, the record-breaking basket, Magic got off the bench, put himself in the game, passed the ball to Jabbar, shot it through the hoop, and the record was shattered. Riley said, if you look at the videotape, you'll see Magic Johnson leaping into the arms of Jabbar and if you look closely, you'll see tears streaming down his cheeks. He said, he's the most unselfish basketball player I've ever seen. I'm not here to promote the NBA today or that line of sports and all that stuff. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm talking about a principle that this little illustration talks about, focusing and being an enabler, being a catalyst, helping others, being unselfish. If that attitude can happen in basketball, can it also happen in our lives? Are you an enabler to your brothers or sisters today? A catalyst? Helping them? Holding them up when they're down? If we can become that unselfish and our desire to make other people look good, to encourage other people, other people and build them up, I think that's what our calling is as Christians. Can we be enablers or catalysts today? Paul says, the only thing that matters to me is that the gospel is preached. Let's go to number three here, his uncertain future. Back to our text, verses 19 through 24 this time. Paul's writing yet. He mentions his uncertain future in verse 19. For I know that, his, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul was facing trial here in Rome shortly. And if he was found innocent, he'd be free to preach some more, preach the gospel some more. And if he was found guilty, he'd probably be executed. He knew all that. He knew he was either going to live or die, depending on the results of this trial coming up. So he writes in verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. What he's saying, 
my concern is when I stand before a pagan judge in a pagan court that I won't do or say anything to embarrass Christ Jesus, my Lord. My only concern is that I will have enough courage to stand up in their midst and by what I say and what I do, that Jesus Christ will be exalted. Whether I die or whether I live, doesn't matter. All I want to do is exalt Jesus. You resonate with that? Verse 21, very familiar verse. Probably all have it memorized. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Where is your focus today? If you were going to write that verse, and truthfully ask you to search your heart here, if you were to write that verse and truthfully describe your feelings, what would you say? For, for to me, to live is money, and to die is to leave it behind. For to me, to live is family, and to die is to leave them behind or leave them alone. For to me, to live is pleasure, and to die is to miss all the fun. For to me, to live is fame, and to die is to be quickly forgotten. For to me, to live is power and influence, and to die is to become insignificant. I hope none of those describe what you would write. Let us all be challenged to sign on with Paul. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The Living Bible paraphrases it this way. To me, living means opportunity for Christ, and dying, that's even better. In verses 22 through 24, Paul says, But if I live on in the flesh... This will mean fruit for my labor, and yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Lee Carter Maynard was a very great preacher. He lived to be 90 years old. And on his deathbed, as his family and his friends gathered around him, they saw the agony and the pain that he was experiencing. All of a sudden, though, everything changed. A look of peace and a smile came upon his face. His eyes opened up. He lifted up his hands. He said, I see it. I see it. Do you see it? It's so beautiful. And then he died. That, I think, is why Paul could say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain." Stories told also of an eight-year-old boy named Frank. Frank had a date with his father to go fishing on Saturday. They were going to go fish the whole day long. On Friday night, though, they had everything all laid out. He was all ready to go. But they got up on Saturday morning, and it was raining cats and dogs, pouring down rain. They couldn't go fishing. Eight-year-old Frank, he grumbled. He was griping. He was complaining all morning long. He kicked the furniture. He kicked the dog. He kicked the cat. He was upset. Nothing was right. Why does it have to rain today? His 
father tried to explain to him that the farmers needed the rain. But that didn't satisfy Frank. Why does it have to rain today? He said. About noontime, the clouds broke out and the sun came out. His dad said, well, we can't go fishing all day, but at least we can fish this afternoon. Let's go. So they jumped into the truck and they went to the lake and they fished all afternoon. And they caught more fish than they had ever caught before. Their baskets were full and they had the time of their lives out there by the lake. They came home and mom cooked some of the fish for supper. As they were sitting down to eat, Frank, Frank's dad looked at him and he, and he asked, Frank, would you ask the blessing? Eight-year-old Frank prayed this prayer. God, if I sounded a little grumpy earlier today, it's because I couldn't see far enough ahead. And isn't that the problem with a lot of us? We get grumpy. We don't, we don't look down the road far enough ahead. We don't have the right focus. We get caught up in our circumstances and the, the people that are bothering us, troubling us, situations that surround us, and we don't look far enough ahead down the road. When you take the time to look, when you take the time to focus more and more on the positive, and when we have Christ in our life and we allow Christ to be our focus. We can have a better future. We can have a better day. It may seem uncertain right now, but we have a certain destiny in God. And one day, we're going to see him face to face and be with him for all eternity. But let's keep the right focus. Let's get focused. Let's pray.